turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. As you know, we've been in a series called Roots, and we're wrapping it up today. This is the final installment of the series of a journey through Colossians and talking about being rooted in who Christ is. The Apostle Paul was writing this letter to actually new believers that he had never met before. And, uh, and, and he's coaching them, he's challenging them, he's encouraging them. And today I want you to, I want you to approach this next section with an understanding that what Paul is beginning to do as he's walked through the, the, the letter, he's talked uh, theology, he's talked about who Jesus is, he's talked about, you know, when you discover who Jesus really is, then everything else begins to line up, and then he begins to tell them how their lives should be ordered, but now here in these final greetings, in this final part of the letter, he's kind of signing off, and he's saying something that I think gives us insight into who he really is. It gives us a picture of who he thinks they should be. It gives us a picture of his opinion of what rooted in Christ looks like. All right, so we'll start with our key verse in chapter 2, verse 6, and we'll read that, and then we'll leap from there over to chapter 4 and verse 2. Let's pray over the scriptures. Father, let the scripture come alive. Speak by your spirit in these moments that we have together. Lord, speak words that I don't even say into people's hearts. Lord, focus our attention. Give us illumination and help us to obey you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our key verse for this series has been Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, so then just as you received... Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, everybody say continue, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted, everybody say rooted, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The Apostle Paul is concerned about the, these believers, even though he's never met them, because they're new Christians, they're new to the faith, they've prayed the prayer but now he wants them to get their roots down deep in what they believe. And throughout the letter, he's been coaching them on this. If you go to chapter 4, verse 2, we see a little bit of coaching, some final words to, him, to them. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Last week, Brett Hancock spoke and did a great job, talked about opportunities. And he said, one of these is what you're supposed to do, and the other three descriptive words are about how to do it. Four words in this passage, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The way you pray is in a devoted way. You devote yourself to it. You consistently pray. He says that when you pray, I want you to be watchful, I want you to be aware of what's going on, and I want you to be thankful. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Let thankfulness cover your life. Let it, let it pour out of you and let it overflow because it's your perspective on prayer. Prayer actually is one of the fundamental things that we do as a believer that other people can't do. If you know Jesus, if you know our Father, Father God, if you know him and you're the one who are responsible to pray, for others. Nobody else can do that. That's our job and ours alone. And Paul is calling them to prayer. Here in verse 3, he says, and pray for us. Pray for us 
Two, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Have you ever had a teacher who was really good? A teacher that you just loved being with because somehow they made everything come alive? I think Paul right here is, is, is a teacher who's really good because he's doing something that great teachers do. Great teachers, they don't just tell you information. They actually give you responsibility as you're learning. They're not just trying to explain everything to you and help you get it. They actually give you responsibility to do things that actually help you learn the material. It is the doing of those things. It is the responsibility that you receive as a student that actually forces you to learn it. That's why they call it homework. It's, ho it's, it's, it's homework. It's stuff that you're going to do. Paul is kind of giving them homework. The best teachers always let the students participate in the learning process. You've got to understand the context here. The Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul. His reputation would have been known. It would have preceded him. He's never met these believers, but they, they know him from his journeys, and they know his, the common friends together. And so the Apostle, if you don't know what Apostle means, it means typically means one who is sent. It means pioneer. It means ambassador, one who's been sent. And so he's the ambassador. He is big, big stuff, big cheese, head cheese, head honcho. He's big. He's important. But Paul says, I need you to pray for me. I'm, he said in, earlier in the letter, he said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you every day. And he said, now I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray because I need God to open the door for our message. Now, I want you to notice, he did not say, pray that I'll be able to get doors open for me. He said, I want you to pray so the doors will be open for the message. I think in our modern day Christianity and American culture, sometimes we pray too much for open doors for us and what we think we want to do and what we think God wants us to do. And we pray for open doors for our lives instead of praying for open doors for the message that he wants to send. Paul's saying, open the door for a message. In his day, he's writing this, by the way, from jail. He's writing it from prison. And open doors in his day would have meant probably more prison. We've gotten used to open doors being opportunity and incredible social status and influence and God, give us influence. No, open the door for the message. God's the only one who can open the door to people's hearts. God's the only, he knows that he can't open the doors himself. God must open people's hearts so they can receive the message. And so as new believers, he's asking them to participate with him and the mystery of Christ to come alive in them in their prayers. They must blend their, their wisdom, uh, wisdom with a sense of urgency about what's happening. And so he's coaching them here. He doesn't see himself as the expert. He sees himself as part of this Part of this community. Listen, all ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no super Christians. We tend to think that there are people who are really up there. I mean, I mean you look at me as the pastor, some of you who don't know me. <laughs> the people who know me, you know. I'm not perfect. 
I, I know, it's disappointing for some of you. I have hang-ups, I have issues. I need your prayers. People above you in authority or people who you put sometimes inappropriately on a pedestal, take them down and pray for them. Pray for them. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I need you to pray for me to share the message. Notice these words, as I should. As I should. You know, one of the things that is helpful for all of us is if we just understand that, that there aren't ranks of Christians, that we're all here trying to surrender our lives to Christ, and he's working in all of us. And so he begins to coach them through this, and he says uh, in verse 4, be, uh, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, and be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Everybody say, most of every opportunity. Most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every person. This idea of making the most of every opportunity, it... it, it the, the meaning behind the words in the original language had the, the connotation of buying up every opportunity, purchasing every opportunity, making sure that you could buy every moment. With You were ready to spend the moment. You were ready to capitalize on it. You're ready to purchase it. You're ready to buy it up. I, I've, I've got a, a thing that I'm trying, and I've been trying these last few months, on Amazon.com. I am in love with Amazon.com. People, are you, do you realize what Amazon, I mean, Amazon.com is an incredible place where you can order almost anything that you need. And I discovered it from my friends who go to my group, Sean and Betty Moore, and they turned me on to this thing at Amazon.com and there's something called subscribe and save. Subscribe and save. And they deliver things to your house every month. And so we get things delivered now that I used to go to the store for or Amy used to go to the store for. We don't waste the gas. What happens is, I should get paid for this probably, but I'm going to do a big commercial. <laughs> it, you, you order things in bulk, and you, so you already get lower prices. You have to compare, but you get lower prices. But once you get five things that are being sent to you at the same time on this subscribe and save schedule, 15% off more on every, everything that you get. So it's 15% more off, and then there's coupons every once in a while that you click on, and they save you even more money. And so I love it. I am obsessed, though, now. <laughs> every night on the computer, I'm like, oh, I gotta look for more deals. Gotta look for more stuff. Hey, do you think they carry this? They do. This is incredible. I gotta do this. I gotta make this happen. And so and so we've been doing this, and I'm, my wife is like, would you stop being obsessed with that? I'm obsessed with the purchase. What I'm really obsessed with is the purchase price per unit. 48 rolls of toilet paper. Sadly, 48 rolls of toilet paper per month. <laughs> Next subject. 48 rolls, 42 cents per roll. And I'm not talking about the cheap stuff either. We don't believe in cheap toilet paper at our house. We believe in the good stuff. It is incredible. So once a month at our house, you know what happens? It's like Christmas. It comes this huge box and we celebrate because we're getting all our stuff. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, we have to be obsessed <laughs> with taking advantage of every sale, every moment, every opportunity. We're looking for it. Some of you, you know it because your wife is that, I mean, she is aware, attentive to every sale that goes on at the mall. Some of you, the men, you're looking, always looking, looking at cars. I know guys that look at cars all the time, and they're just looking for that right car. Listen, we need to be the same way with the message of Christ that lives within us, ready to purchase the opportunity. And then he coaches them on how to do it. He gives them three coaching ideas. The first one, and, and listen, it matters the way you say it. It matters the way you say it. If you say it angry and irritated, it's not attractive. He, he coaches them. He says, I want you to, your, your language to be gracious. He tells them three things, essentially. He says, it matters that we say. He says, I want you to be gracious. I want you to be a little salty. Right? You know what salty? Salty doesn't mean cursing or cussing or making it, you know, aggressive in your language. No, salty, what, what he meant, and I wrote it down because it's so good. What his implication here is in salty is witty, amusing, clever, humorous. Be a little salty. What is salt used for? Making things taste good. Making things taste good, and it's a preservative. When you say something and it sticks, I want it to stay. You figure out new... I think sometimes Christians are too boring. I know I am. Like, we need to... Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, when I'm not up here, I get really boring, and my neighbors need to see a little wit, a little charm, a, a little creative communication about who Jesus is. A little, a little bit of intentionality. And, he, and then he says, I want you to be ready. Look, please don't take your, your neighbor isn't interested in your theology. Theology is not the point. You don't, have to, you don't have to take them through. How much theology does it take to be saved? To get, to come to Christ. It, you, have to, you have to, just a tiny bit, you have to know that there's a problem in your life. You have to know that Jesus is the answer. That's about it. It's not about theology, even though we have to learn. And he says, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to give an answer for everyone who asks you. That means you need to know the scriptures. That means we need to spend time in here. Hey, that's why I keep getting, trying to get every one of us to participate in the one-year Bible reading. You need more and more of the scriptures flowing through you. More and more of you need to write it on three-by-five cards and stick it on your mirror and memorize it for a week. More and more of us need to get the scriptures inside of us. Some of you didn't get it in Sunday school. Some of you, it's, it's, it's way back there, and you need to pull it forward so it's ready. It's on your lips. It's on your mind because there's an opportunity coming. And so Paul's ministry, here he is. He's saying, I want you to think about how you say it. And then he gives these final greetings. Let's read through it at verse 7. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So Tychicus and Onesimus are carrying it. Tychicus was the carrier of the letter. He's a faithful brother, faithful minister. And Onesimus was one of them who had come to where Paul was. Verse 10 says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting. I want you to imagine the scene. The letter is being written. There's a fellow prisoner. And, 
and, and they're thinking and they're praying about this group of people. And he says, I want you to give them my greeting. And then he says, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received him, you've received instructions about him. And if he comes to you, then welcome him. If he gets out, then I want you to take care of him, he says. Verse 11 says, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. The, the context of the letter is Jewish people putting pressure on these new believers to conform to the rules of the law. And what Paul is saying here is, I have Jewish brothers who have come to know who Jesus really is, and they have proven a comfort to me. He's saying there, there are people, there is hope for, for as your message goes forth, for people to discover who Jesus really is, even among your own Jewish brothers. Verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. They're talking about a guy who knows them and is wrestling with them in prayer. Paul vouches for him and says, this guy loves you deeply. He is praying for you. Listen to me, every one of us need people that we'll be willing to pray that deeply for. All of us need to engage in prayer in this way. There is no way for, for our church to grow in new converts, people who are meeting Jesus for the first time, if we're not a praying church. I've, I've said it several times. I love the phrase, a church grows in prayer before it grows in numbers. I want you to join me in prayer. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And he's, he's giving an illustration. Verse 14, he says, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Luke is the writer of Luke and Acts. And, and, and then Demas is a, is a young man who later um, leaves his faith. Verse 15 says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Most likely Nympha was leading that church, that, that gathering in her home. Verse 18 says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you turn, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. These were circular letters that would travel and they would share. They would, they would read, them, read the ones they were, that were written to them and then they would trade with another church in another city. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. We don't know what that is, but we know Paul is encouraging him. And then he says in verse um, 18, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Most likely he's, he's signing it with his own hands and he's saying, remember my chains. And when he says, remember my chains, he's not saying... He's not saying, pity me, be sorry for me. He's saying, I want you to remember what's going on here. I want you to remember the picture of what's happening and what God is doing among you and in me and all over the world. He's already stated it earlier in the letter. You have to be mindful that this gospel is being proclaimed all over the world. And he's challenging them to look up. He's challenging them in three, three ways. And I want you to write these down. Write these down on, in your Bible or, or, or maybe on your uh, worship guide. I want you to write these three things down. Paul is encouraging these Colossian believers to, number one, look up. Here's the thing. The whole letter is about becoming rooted. 
becoming established in Christ. The whole letter is about becoming mature in who you are as a Christian. Not staying a baby, but growing up. And so Paul says three things here at the end of his letter that give us insight into what a rooted person looks like. What does a rooted person look like? What, is, what does a Christian who's mature look like? What's the picture? Can we see it? Can we see it what Paul has, from what Paul has written here? And I think we can. The first characteristic of a rooted person, a, a believer who is rooted will look up instead of looking down. Look up instead of looking down. Open your eyes to our city, our nation, and the world. He says, I want you to, I want you to pray for me so that there will be an open door to the message. And, and he's saying this strategically. God must open the door to people's hearts. You can't do it on your own. Hey, hey, look, look up from your own problems and look at what's going on in our city. Look at what's happening in our city. Uh, the latest statistic is 110 people a day are moving here. 110 people a day, uh, about 60,000 a year are projected. What does that mean? What is that? You think that's, you think that's just about economics? Not in God's economy. Not in God's kingdom. God has a, another plan in mind, and he's going to use the economics of our situation to reach people. And if you don't look up, you're going to miss it. If you keep looking down and complaining about traffic, you're going to miss it. If you keep looking down at your own circumstances and having a myopic view of, of what's going on in our city and thinking about how it affects you and, and how you're unhappy with the rising cost of homes, you're going to miss the point of what God is trying to do. What Paul is saying, you got to look up. Not only look up from your problems to see what's going on. He, he did say, Jesus said, Jesus said, I want, you to, I want you to open your eyes. He said it in John chapter 4. He said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Next week, you should be thinking about who you can bring to Easter Sunday service because that's what God is doing in our city around the time of Easter. People are sensitive to it. Yesterday, we had hundreds of people, over 300 people out serving our city, serving different ministries, different places, different neighbors. They were, their eyes were up looking at what was going on around our city and meeting needs. That's what we have to do. Now, here's the problem. Often, when, often when, we, when we do our quiet time or our, our daily Bible study, you know what we do? We look down and we read our Bible and then we start thinking about ourselves. We start praying for ourselves. What Paul is saying, I don't want you to just pray about yourself. I want you to pray about me. Pray for others, not just yourself. This is an idea that Paul is highlighting here. And sometimes we should do it on purpose. Like I have, sometimes I have a low self-esteem day. You ever have a low self-esteem day? Liars. You do. Some of you don't and you have other issues that we need to talk about, but whatever. Most of us have low self-esteem days and it's when we start throwing a pity party and oh, things aren't going, you know, that is the moment when you need to pray for somebody else who's going through something more difficult, more of a struggle than you. 
or maybe less of a struggle than you. But the point is you need to look up. And not only look up from your situation, but look up to Jesus because he's the one who has the solution. He's the one who has the answer. Look up to him and see. Now, immature Christians, they look down at themselves all the time. They complain. Mature Christians look up to see what's going on around them, and they look up to Jesus, who is the solution for their help. The second thing is grow up. You can't just look up. You've got you to be willing to grow up because rootedness means you're going to grow down in your roots. But that, what that means is what's under the surface is going to have repercussions above the surface. And so when the roots get deeper, the, the plant begins to grow larger on, over, over on the top of the surface and it begins to produce fruit. And growth is about producing fruit. We're going to grow up. We have to be wise is what he says. He says, be wise in the way that you deal with outsiders. Be wise in how your actions affect others is what he says. The mark of maturity is a person who is emphasizing the needs of others and understands what's happening around them rather than just being consumed with what's happening with them. The mark of a grown-up, rooted believer is that they're living their lives for others and not for themselves. You can write it down and read it later. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 13. Paul talks about food that was sacrificed to idols. And people were having a big deal about this. They were struggling with food that was sacrificed to idols. So he's coaching the church and he says, look, look, food is neither, I mean, God made it all and we know that. And whether it was sacrificed to an idol or not, it, that really doesn't matter because there are, all kinds of things that happen in the world. God made it, and it's good, good to, to eat. It's fine. But he said, when you have a brother or a sister who is weaker in their conscience, in other words, in that day, he would say, a brother or sister who's come out of the experience of idolatry. In other words, they were, their lives were totally consumed by idolatry, and they've been released from that as a believer. They've met Jesus. They've, they've, they've discovered who God really is, and they're coming out of a lifestyle of idolatry. And you've got to understand, in, these, in, these, in this day, when this letter was written, they had idols for everything. Every part of life had an idol that represented it, and so you appeased that idol. You had that idol in your house. And when you come to Jesus, then you got rid of your idols. And so what he's saying is, if you're eating in a butcher's shop where uh, the meat has been sacrificed to idol, and that discourages somebody, one of your friends, because it, it engages them near all that idolatry stuff, Guess what? Paul says, if what I do offends my brother or makes them stumble, everybody say makes them stumble. If my brother stumbles because of what I'm doing, then I won't do it anymore. He says, I'll, he actually says, I'll never eat meat again. Here's what you have to understand as believers, and we all have to understand. We have to be willing to be attentive to others' needs above our own rights and freedoms. That's what a Christian, that's what a rooted believer does. He's thinking, she's thinking about what's, how my actions are affecting others, not emphasizing my right to do whatever I want. You can't judge me. You shouldn't have an opinion about that. I, I, I know God. I know Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't need you. You see, it's a wrong attitude. It's an immature attitude. 
It means your roots are shallow. The picture of a rooted believer is somebody who lives for others instead of themselves. And mature Christians are willing to curtail or restrict their own activities for the sake of others. I've had a lot of discussion about um, drinking alcohol in Austin. A lot of Christians in, in, in Austin drink alcohol. It's no big deal. Like it's just, <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, he just went there. <laughs> no, you didn't want to do it, did you? You didn't, you didn't even want to look at your neighbor. You're like, <sighs> are you a teetotaler? Or do you? Okay, look. Look, here's the, here's the thing. This is a subject for lots of people. In, in American culture, we have a Puritan ethic that sort of still lives here, right? But the question of whether or not I can drink alcohol or not is not the right question, right? The question, or the answer to the question of whether you can drink alcohol is more complex than just your own right or ability to do it. You actually have to ask the other question. Who am I around when I'm doing it? Do they have a history of being sucked into alcoholism? Do do they not have the maturity to know when enough is enough? What, where is, what, what kind of questions do you have to ask? See, as a believer, you have greater responsibility than just enjoying yourself. That's the struggle. That's, the, that's, that's what Jesus is calling all of us to. You're like, Pastor Russ, why'd you have to complicate that for me? I was living in innocence, in ignorant bliss, <laughs> drinking whatever I wanted to. No, listen, it's not, about, it's not about people judging you and it's not about being legalistic. It's about living your life for others. Are you with me? Okay. Finally, last, look up, grow up, and now team up. The Apostle Paul's team was large. You see all those people that he's talking about? You see all these people that he's saying, these are great friends. These are incredible people. These are people that are involved in my life. These, they, I know this guy. I watch him every day and he's agonizing in prayer for you. He's talking about Jewish people, and he's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about men and women. He's talking about older people and younger people. He's talking about people all along the spectrum. Paul had an incredible ability to create love and loyalty in an environment. People loved him. He loved them. Listen, my friends at One Chapel, we must never become the church where people walk in and no one talks to them. We must never become the church where we're not willing to look and to see people who maybe are standing by themselves in the lobby and resist going to them and including them. We must never be the kind of people who resist engaging and embracing the community because we're, we're isolated or we're embarrassed or we're afraid or we're ashamed or we're just busy. All those things fight against being on a team, being in a community. The only way the gospel is preached is in a community. It is something that happens within the community that begins to spin out into the city and into the nation and into the world. It's happened over and over and over again throughout history, but it happens with a group of people. It may start with one guy who takes the message, but very quickly a community begins to be formed, and that community begins to have the power. Look, look, Paul couldn't accomplish his, his purpose without a team. He couldn't. 
It was incredibly, incredibly difficult to travel in that time period. It was incredibly difficult to, to carry messages. It was hard. He needed teams to do it. You and I, you and I must find people to help us in our mission. Not the mission that you have for yourself, but the mission God has for you. The purpose that God has for your life. In fact, you will discover the purpose for your life better in a group than you will by yourself. Some of you have been resistant to be on a team around here. Listen, be on a team around here if only to help you connect in a way that puts you in the community. In those moments when you're discouraged, you're going to need somebody to speak into your life. Some of you have been resistant to go to a connect group because you're just busy. And you know what, you know what your community is? Your community is work. You just, you just give your life to the work. And then you go home and try to pacify your family. And you go to work again. And then you try to come home and help him. And then you go to work again. And it's all you got. And it's not good for you. You're isolated. You need to go to one of these connect groups. There's something here that Paul is saying about teaming up with good friends who will encourage you along the way. Our namesake, One Chapel, was created out of a moment of vision and, and, and inspiration from John 17 where Jesus prayed. He's praying for his disciples and he said, Father, make them one like you and I are one. Them and us, and us and them, that the world would believe that you sent me. We have to do this. We have to team up. We can't have isolation and individuality as our cultural filter we have to see that God is doing something together we look up to him we grow up together and we team up with people who we can invest in and who will invest in us close your eyes bow your heads I want you to think about your life and evaluate it quickly just take a moment and think about where are you in this in this equation what is it that Do you view yourself as a mature believer or do you fear that you're not rooted? Is Jesus speaking to you? Is the Spirit speaking to you about something specific? Maybe in this moment, it's just your time, your opportunity to give it to him. Say, okay, Lord, I don't own my life. You own it, and so help me to live it for others. Some of you are in the room and you're... You're away from the Lord, and, and you've really been trying to just have your own individual spirituality, but you realize here in this moment that Jesus is calling you. The Spirit of God is calling you, and, and he's saying, come back home, son or daughter. Come, come back home. Come back to where you belong. Look up instead of looking down at everything. It's time for you to grow. It's time for you to grow into the man or woman God's called you to be. It's time for you to team up with someone for your life to become what God intended. You might say, but Pastor Ross, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I'm, in, I'm, what I'm into, and I, I just don't know how I can do it. My problems seem so big. Listen, Jesus can take care of any issue, any failure, any past, any history, any struggle. His blood, his power, his strength. It can come into you. All you have to do is yield. <laughs> yield, surrender. And so I'm going to pray for you. 
and I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you, but if you're saying to, to me today, Pastor, please pray for me because I want to commit my life to Christ Maybe again, maybe you've just been away from him and it's time for you to come back home. Some of you, it might be your first time. Whatever it is, just shoot your hand up in the air right now and say, Pastor, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I wanna, I wanna live the life you're talking about. Yes, I see you way in the back, right here in the front. Who else? Back in the back, where else? All across here in the front. Yes, I wanna live the life that God has called me to. I wanna live the way you're describing it. I wanna be rooted. I don't wanna be washed away the tide. I don't want to be swept away by the storm. I want to be rooted, strong. I want to live my life for others. I want to live my life for Jesus. Come on, all the way, all over the room, everybody in the room, let's pray this prayer together. Come on, let's pray it and mean it. Let's really give our lives to him this morning. Come on, say this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for doing my own thing looking down, refusing to grow up, refusing to team up. Forgive me for doing my own thing. Forgive me for my sins. I repent. I turn away. I turn to you. I give my life to you. I surrender everything. Ask you to take over. Grow me up. Give me a fresh start. Make me into a new person. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Father, every person that prayed that prayer, would you seal it by the work of the Holy Spirit? Would you lead every one of us in a prayer of repentance, in a life of a surrender as we get up from this place and begin to walk out into our lives? Lord, would you help us to retain what we're thinking about, what we're, what we're dealing with right now? Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us grace to be able to live the way you want us to live. Lord, we pray this. We thank you for it. We honor you today in Jesus' name.